Good morning. It's good to see each and every one of you. Have you ever been watching a, a movie that was very interesting? You just had to glue to it. Whenever it came on, you was there and you were ready to watch it. And then you come to the park, just it was getting really interested since the season finale. So you wait a couple of months, and then you find out well, the network's not going to pick it up anymore. It's just bottoms out. That's what I was thinking when I was doing my, getting my lesson up. When uh, Brother Reagan asked me to do it. So, you know, I can do one on the holidays and do some that. Now I got thinking. I got to find out what Elijah's doing. And uh, find out if Jezebel ever got her hands on him. Because first Kings, it's, it's really, this guy's getting a good part. So, I'm going to pick up this morning in uh, First Kings chapter 19. We just read today's lesson. We're going to look at how to have hope when you feel alone. I talked with you know other people and everything. They said, "Well, you know, they didn't really care much about holidays because they're alone. Well, thank you, sir. They live by themselves and all. And they're all the family's gone. They're going to be here by themselves. They get thinking. You still have hope." Because I think it's Red Cross that says even uh, devastation can't take away hope. So no matter how great the disasters are, we still have hope. And if we live long enough, you will experience, and I'm sure a bunch of us already has, the highs and the lows of life. Now during those lows of life, we can feel like we are all alone. When we try to be faithful to the Lord, there's been times that we feel like See, like I'm the only one that's trying to do what the Lord wants us to do. <clears throat> one person we can look at and learn from when we feel alone is Elijah. We've been looking at the life of Elijah in the last couple of lessons that I've given. In the prior chapter, in chapter 18, Elijah had called for Israel and the prophets of Baal to come to Mount Carmel. And to get Israel to stop limping between the two opinions and fully devote themselves to the Lord. God is answered by fire to turn the hearts of the people back to the Lord. Now after reading that and studying now, we would want chapter 18 to end to be the end of the story. With Israel and Elijah living happily ever after. We would want to read that Israel served the Lord and Ahab and Jezebel we're now convinced that the Lord is God and will fully serve Him. We're going to find out in chapter 19 that's not the way the story goes. As Paul Harvey said, the rest of the story. <clears throat> chapter 1 Kings chapter 19, the first, three eights, uh, first eight verses, verses 1 through 8, we're going to see Elijah back on the road. After this amazing display of God's power at Mount Carmel, King Ahab goes home and he tells Jezebel all that Elijah had done. And how they had all the prophets of Baal killed. And then Jezebel, being her typical self, sends a message to Elijah in uh, chapter 19, verse 2. The message basically says that you will be dead by this time tomorrow. 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 2. That Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah saying, so let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life at the life of one of them 
by tomorrow about this time. Now this is enough to sour a great day. We see here that Elijah has gone from the thrill of victory as God displayed his power and the people declared the Lord to be God to the pain of defeat. As Jezebel says that these are your last 24 hours to live. So Elijah runs for his life. Leaving Israel altogether and goes to Beersheba in Judah. Which is in the southernmost part of Judah. He leaves his servant in Beersheba and he goes another day journey into the wilderness. Where he sat under a desert shrub, a juniper tree. And then Elijah prays to the Lord. And he says, it's enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. Elijah believes that this is the end of the line. He has every reason to believe in Jezebel's threat of death because it tells us she's been killing the other prophets of the Lord up until this point. Now we also see in verse in chapter 18 that Obadiah, who works in Ahab's administration, had been able to save a hundred of the Lord's prophets. But Jezebel was on a mission to kill all of them. And now it seems that Elijah has become public enemy number one in Israel. Jezebel is going to make certain to end his life. So Elijah prays to the Lord that he do it rather than let her. His efforts appear to have been no better than those who come before him. And then after he prayed, Elijah laid down and went to sleep. We're told that an angel come to Elijah and tells him to eat. He wakes and looks and he sees bread baked on these hot stones in a jar of water. So he eats and he drinks and then he lays down again. When the angel comes to Elijah again and tells him to eat again because the journey is too much for you. So Elijah ate and drank and then went as he was directed. He goes for 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the Mount of God. This mountain is also called Mount Sinai where the Lord delivered the Ten Commandments to Moses. Now Elijah looks like Moses who was on the mountain for 40 days and he prefigures Jesus who was in the wilderness for 40 days. <clears throat> now we're going to see in 1 Kings chapter 19 the next verses, chapter 9 through verse 18 and I encourage you to read these his verses, it's interesting. I can only tell you parts of what's going on in this story. But when Elijah arrives to the mountain, he spends the night in a cave. Now the word of the Lord came to him, asking, What are you doing here, Elijah? That's something that each and every one of us can be asked this morning. We're here in God's house. What are you doing here this morning? Hopefully we say we're here to praise thee. But when the word of the Lord asks Elijah, what were you doing here? Now it's important that we do not misunderstand this question. Because I think that it's probably been misunderstood. It could easily be misunderstood in the past. 
This is not a rebuke nor a question. Be critical of Elijah. Why is Elijah at this mountain? He is there because God told him to go there. So this question cannot be a rebuke of Elijah. Rather, God is inviting Elijah to tell him what is going on. In other words, the Lord is asking Elijah to state his purpose. What do you need? What can I do for you? Elijah gives his answer in verse 10. Verse 10, chapter 19, he says, And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thy altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. That's important that we carefully listen to what Elijah just said. First, he says, I have been very jealous for the Lord. <clears throat> Excuse me. Elijah said that he'd been trying to do the work of the Lord that the Lord has given him to do. Secondly, the people have forsaken your covenant. They've thrown down your orders. They killed your prophets with the sword. I am the only one left, and they're trying to kill me too. What Elijah is saying is that signs have done nothing. His preaching has done nothing. The work on Mark, uh, Mount Carmel did nothing. The people have forsaken the covenant, and they refuse to come back. We should not see Elijah throwing a pity party, as some may claim, but rather Elijah is declaring that he's a failure. Elijah was the only one standing for the Lord on Mount Carmel. No one else would, and now he's going to die by Jezebel's hand. That's look what God does in verse 11. Chapter 19, verse 11, and he said, Go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind rent the mountains, and breaking pieces the rock before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. God tells Elijah to go stand out on this cave. He tells him to stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord because the Lord will pass by. And then as we just read, a great storm, a great strong wind tore the mountains and broke the rocks and pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. Now just imagine what that sounded like and looked like. Then after the earthquake, going down to verse 12, and Preston tells us that after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire, the sound of a low whisper. Elijah wraps his face and then stands at the mount of the cave. That's important to note that after this catastrophic signs are heralds from God's arrival, it's just like when Moses and the people were at Sinai. The mountain shakes and burns, and then the Lord comes. The same thing is happening here. The Lord comes in a whisper after the shaking and the burning of the mountain. Now the Lord asks him again in, chapter, in verse 13, What are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah answered, It's the same. I am jealous for the Lord. 
Israel's broken the covenant, tore down your altars, and killed your prophets. I am the only one left, and they're about to kill me also. Now God gives Elijah some directions. He says, go back the way you came and anoint Hazel as king over Syria. And Jehu as king over Israel. Finally anoint Elijah to be the prophet in your place. Now think about what God just implied to Elijah by telling him to go anoint these two kings and the next prophet. Elijah, you're not going to die tomorrow. You have more work to do. In fact, the Lord continues to tell Elijah that there are 7,000 in Israel who have not bowed to Baal. You are not alone. There's a righteous remnant and Jezebel cannot stop it. God always keeps a remnant. So go back because God has more for you to do. He says it's a great story. But here's the important part. The important part of this lesson is how we can apply this to our own lives. What we can learn from it. So what is the message to us and how does this tech help us to have hope when we're feeling alone? Our hope comes from seeing how God dealt with Elijah. First, God does not condemn, ridicule, or rebuke, or Dismiss the way Elijah's feeling. I think it's important because we're going to feel the same way that Elijah felt. We're going to feel alone at times. We're going to feel like we're failing. We're going to feel like nothing is going right. We're going to feel like no one understands and we're going through this all alone. God does not condemn us when we have these spiritual lows in our lives. Think about how many of the Psalms start with these same kinds of feelings. Many of the Psalms talk about the difficulty of enduring the wickedness around them while trying to remain faithful. <clears throat> but Elijah, what Elijah does next is very important. Elijah prays to the Lord. Once he leaves from Jezebel's rule, he stops in the wilderness and he prays to the Lord. How often we might forget to talk to God when we're feeling all alone. But God always wants us to tell him how we feel. It's just like us with our children, our grandchildren. We pretty much know what they want. We pretty much know what they need. Know how they feel. But we want them to come to us and to tell us them themselves. God, when they come to us and tell us ourselves, it's not like we look like we're trying to get into their business. We're just answering and helping them out when they ask for it. Nowhere in the scripture do we see God telling people to not talk to him about what they're going through. Many places in scripture we see where he tells them to pray and talk to him. Instead, we see the opposite, where people are always telling always talking to God about what they are feeling and they're experiencing. So the first thing we must do when we have these feelings is talk to God. Lord willing, and this morning's lesson, we will talk about the power of prayer as seen through Elijah and how this can give us the help and the hope that we need in our lives. You're not broken. 
You just need to talk to God about our feelings. Secondly, know that you are not alone. Elijah felt like he was all by himself in his efforts to serve the Lord. God showed Elijah that he was not alone in two ways. First off, God brought Elijah to Mount Sinai to, to the presence of the Lord. God comes to Elijah in a gentle whisper. <clears throat> Elijah needed to get away from the noise of Israel and quite understand that the Lord was there with him. God did not send his son so that he would give up on you or leave you alone, especially in our time of need. When we see our children and our grandchildren down on their low or going through a hard time, do we turn our backs on them? That's when we seem to tend to give them more of our time. Same thing with our Heavenly Father. God has said to you in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, God says to us, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So God is telling you that you're not alone. You're not going to be alone. Second, God let Elijah know that he was not alone by telling him about 7,000 others who were in Israel who had not bowed to Baal. You're not the only one who was left trying to do what is right. You are not the only one left who is trying to serve the Lord in these difficult circumstances. You are not alone as you try to do right when people are, are, are trying to tear you down and get you to do wrong. You are not alone. There is always a remnant of God's people. In fact, the Apostle Paul uses this text in 1 Kings chapter 19 to make a very important point to Christians in his letter to the Romans. Romans chapter 11, verses 2 through 5. Romans 11, 2 through 5, when he said, God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scripture says to Elijah when he appeals to God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophet. They have demolished your orders. I am left alone and they seek my life. And what is God's reply to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed their knee to Baal. Then Romans chapter 11 verse 5 says, So too at the present time there is a remnant chosen to God. Romans 11, 2 through 5. No one <clears throat> can stop God from having his people. There will always be people who are faithful serving the Lord. Even if you do not see it, I believe this is one of the many reasons why God gave us the local church. The gathering of God's people together. We need to see that we are not alone. We need to come together and encourage one another. Come together by encouraging one another, by studying together. You are not alone in your struggle. Just look around the room this morning. This is an important reason why we gather and we need to gather as much as possible, not as little as possible. The writer of Hebrews made this very point to encourage one another all the more by not neglecting to gather with each other. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 25. Hebrews 10 and 25 when it says, Do not forsake the assembly. God gave us each other so that we would not 
feel alone. And we can know that you are not alone. You are part of the spiritual family, and we are here for each other. Finally, you can have hope and feeling alone by understanding that God has more for you to do. This is what God told Elijah. God told Elijah that he was not done with him. He had more for Elijah to do. Same thing with each and every one of us. He's not through with us. He has a lot more for us to do for him. Now go back to Israel and anoint some kings and appoint a prophet. You know, if I was praying to God and I told him that I'm the only prophet you got left and Jezebel going to kill me tomorrow and God told me, well, go appoint another, another prophet, I'd, I'd probably get worried. But God's not telling him to go and appoint this other prophet because you're going to die tomorrow. God's just telling him the job that he's got lined up, the work he has lined up for him. In other words, God had more for Elijah to do. But the important thing we need to look at is God has more for each and every one of us to do. So do not give up. Elijah's telling God, I've tried. There's nothing left for me to do. I give up. But God's answer is there's more for you to do. We need to see that Elijah's definition of success was different than God's definition of success. <clears throat> Same thing with each and every one of us. Our definition of success for God's work is different than God's definition. Elijah's definition was that all of Israel would stop violating the covenant and return to the Lord. God's definition was that Elijah would go back and keep representing God to the people. But the beauty of God is that he will give you what you need today. Stopping, looking into the future and look for what God wants you to do today. Think about how God does this with Elijah. When Elijah's in the wilderness, he does not start by asking what's he doing here and why is he there. God does not start by telling him to go back to Israel. God starts by telling him to eat and allows him to go back to sleep. Then God tells him again to eat so that he can take a journey to Sinai. <clears throat> Only at Sinai does God tell him there is more for him to do. But he did not tell him that while he was in the wilderness. He told him that while he was at Sinai when he was ready for it. God gives you what you need today. Do what you can for the Lord today. Stop looking at how far you need to go and how much you need to do to change years from now. Just look at what you can do for God today. God has worked for each and every one of us. We need to focus on what God wants us to do today, where we are, with the knowledge that we have now, and in the circumstances that we're in now, with the abilities that we have now. Let us end with the example and the power of Jesus because we see that God understands. Luke chapter 22, verses 39 through 44. Luke 22, 39 and 44 tells us, And he came out and went, as, with, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. 
<clears throat> and he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. I want us to look at Luke 22 and verse 42 again. When it said, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. But this is the main part I want us to think about. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. That's what we need to say. When we feel like we're we bumping our head against a wall, what we're doing we, is just not helping in anything. That's because we want things done our way. Let's back up and let God have his way. <coughs> Trust in God and he will take care of each and every one of us. And closing this morning, Jesus knows what you're experiencing. Jesus knows what it's like to be in mental anguish and agony. But what does Jesus do? Jesus prays. Then Jesus is strengthened, and he continues to pray for today because of the work that was in front of him. Jesus was not alone. We are not alone. When we find ourselves in trials, tribulation, and stumbling blocks, and we pray and ask the Lord to help us, and then things start to get better, we want to just go on about our own daily lives. That's my problem with taking medication. When I get feeling bad now and don't put me on medication, I start taking it. First part of the medication made me feel good, so I just want to throw the other med rest of the medication in the drawer and go on about my way. And I find myself right back in that place. So if we find ourselves in these trials and tribulations and we pray and ask the Lord to help us, let's also pray and ask the Lord to help us when things are going good and keep praying. Then Jesus is strengthened and he continues to pray for today because of the work that was in front of him. Jesus was not alone. We are not alone. Turn to the Lord and he is here to strengthen you. With that being said, if anybody needs to be baptized, maybe you've already been baptized and you stepped out of the Lord's way. You need the strength and you need him to help us strengthen you. I ask you to come forward this time while we have the prayers of the congregation and we sing our song of invitation.